the difference between that, which is relying so heavily on showing up, and the niching was that all of a sudden I could go back to this whole network of people and say, hey, uh, I'm exactly for this person. And they all turned around and said, oh, I know five people who need that. So it was it was night and day because I clear it, it's so powerful to clarify <laughs> who you're for. It turns on the light bulbs in people's brains. They think of people to send to you that they wouldn't think of if you're not specific. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm joined by Pia Silver, and I read Pia's book, Badass Your Brand, when I was starting out on this journey of coaching and consulting. I was looking for some inspiration, somebody who turned, go looking for inspiration where people have gone before you, where that path is already trodden, where there are mistakes to be learned from. And I was intrigued by Pia's story. She she went from being $40,000 in debt, working 100 hours a week for clients that she didn't want to do work for, delivering work that she wasn't happy with. 12 months later, she's making half a million dollars. She's profitable. She's only working with the clients she wants to work with. She's doing it her way, and she's charging them proper money. So a great story that I had to read. So I read the book. I've gifted the book to lots of people along the way. But what if you're not a one to three person service business? Why is this going to be interesting to you? Well, Pia makes a really clear point that that's her target audience and that's what her thing is about. But I know from running my own businesses and from clients that I work with that many of the things that are true in Pia's book or in the, in the stuff that she teaches or the articles on Forbes that she writes, it's, you know, let's get niche. Who's our core customer? How do we drive authority? How does that drive business in? How do we package up our services into a product which drives repeatability and margin? How do we charge? How do we be the most expensive player in our marketplace? And I think all of those things are true for all of us. In addition, I think her definition of brand will make some of you very uncomfortable. It just won't be true in your business. So enjoy my conversation with Pia Silva. I thought she was great. See you soon. I'm Pia Silva calling in from Brooklyn, New York. I am a partner and brand strategist at Worst of All Design. I am also an, the author of Badass Your Brand and podcast host. I do a lot of things. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about them today. And uh, <laughs> author of weekly column in Forbes. Author of sometimes multi-weekly column and forums. Yep. Lots of content. I got content coming out of my ears. So uh, is that is that part of your strategy? Yes, you could call it that. <laughs> to just inundate people with hopefully brilliant information that makes them want to hang around me. And so, uh, but it's part of brand building. So, you, you know, you built, you wrote that book, Badass Your Brand. What's the, and it's, it's a book I've given given to lots of people, particularly small business owners. What, Thank you. What, uh, why do you write the book? What, what, was the, what were you trying to do? Perfectly, honestly, I just wanted people to listen to me. <laughs> I wanted people to respect what I had to say, um, mostly because in this business of building brands, the more authority you have when you're working with a client, the better the work is, the more they follow you, 
the more you can get your creative ideas to the finish line. And it's probably a lifelong journey I've had of just wanting people to like listen to what I have to say and do what I tell them. Um, so the book was just the next step in that. Like, oh, if I have a book, people will listen to me more. And then the other reason was I self-published and I wanted to experience the process of self-publishing uh, because I wanted to know how to do it. And then also it makes me that much better for my clients. A lot of my clients are in a position where they might want to publish a book. And so I know a lot about that. I know a lot about writing a book, publishing it, marketing it. And so it just makes me better at my job. So those were two, the two reasons. And where does, uh, where did that fit in? And what's the, give me, for the people who don't know the story, where does that fit in, in the sort of the arc of worst of all designs? So we, the, the quick timeline is we started out of our tiny Brooklyn apartment. The only reason we started this business was because um, my, he was my fiance at the time. Steve, my partner, now my husband, um, was a graphic designer. So this was just me looking for business for his graphic design freelance. And it evolved over three years. We finally got an office. We got employees. It was like, oh, I want to be an agency. Like I saw all these agencies. I want to do that. That looks shiny and beautiful. And it was a horrible disaster. Um, I mean, we made money along the way, but it was just coming in and going right out. And we ended up in debt. That was three years. And then we made this pivot. We completely changed our model. We changed who we were for, how we charged. We started doing these intensives. And within that next year, we had incredible success financially, just everything. And as soon as that happened, I was like, great, this is working. What's next? So that's about like almost to the day, a year later, we were like, great, let's build an online course. And so we built the online course right after that. Let's teach people how to do this because now that we've priced ourselves out of all of these clients, we need something to sell them. So we built the online course. And then right after that, I said, well, now I need to write a book because now I've already articulated how to do this in this online course. So the book actually wrote itself because I had been writing about it for so long. So I wrote that book. Three, it, it, I published it three years after we got, we were in debt. So because the turnaround was just so extreme and it was so magical, I felt like I'd really keyed in on something. So that's what the book is about. It's like all these changes that we made that had such a huge, fast impact on our business. That's what I wanted to share. That's what the book is about. So what, how many are there? How many, like, are there five, seven, 12 steps? Do you to, reckon? To what? To like from one end to the other, you know, in terms of as you take My people business? through. Yeah. <laughs> as you take, well, as you, well, as you go through the book, are there, do you, do you think about it? Is there, is there a number of steps? Um, there's, there's a lot of steps, <laughs> okay. but um, I, yeah, I mean, I think I, I really tried to make the book really simple. It's got six chapters and like, those are kind of the six core principles. I couldn't tell them, tell you what they are off the top of my head, but they're, they're, simple in theory. And then it's about execution. You know, it's about really niching down. It's about knowing who to say no to, knowing what to say no to, focusing. Um, it's about understanding pricing. I'm a big fan of packaging. I'm a big fan of not doing custom work. The, the work is custom, but the way you uh, sell it isn't custom. So okay, systematizing. So, 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 right, so wind yeah. back, wind back, right? Because, yeah, yeah. So that, that niching down, who, yeah. who are you for? What what were you doing? At, what were you doing when you were being successful but not profitable? Was that you were just anyone with a pulse? Anyone? No, it was <laughs> it was. So I actually was raising my prices um, because I was aware of the fact that I needed to raise my prices. We had an office. We had two employees. We had to generate cash to pay for all of this. And I thought the employees were necessary to make money. Um, and I thought the employees in the office were also necessary to get the higher and projects. Like, I thought they legitimized us. Um, so I was raising our prices steadily. So yeah, anybody who needs branding, design, websites, like we do all of that. So it doesn't really matter who it is. Um, when we made that pivot, we went to the market that we actually knew and had expertise in, which was the small business market. So now we only work with one to three person service businesses. We didn't quite start at one to three person service, but we got there pretty quickly. Okay. Yeah. And what proportion of your original customer base do you think that was one to three person service business? Zero uh, percent in that last year because... Oh, wow. So you walked away from all of your customers? Yes. 
<laughs> okay. But, but like 100% of my network was small service businesses. So you have to understand, I was, I'm in New York City. I was networking like crazy. I knew so many people. And I, and I'm a likable gal, you know, I, <laughs> people liked me. They wanted to hire me or refer me. I was just really hard to refer. I was expensive. I wasn't, it wasn't clear what I did. I, I was a commodity. So, so the only reason I even got all of that business is because I really put the legwork in of showing up, being remembered, charming people, like saying like, you know, I'm reliable, like I'm really great to work with. And um, I think that's how I got the business that I did get. And the difference between that, which is relying so heavily on showing up, and the niching was that all of a sudden I could go back to this whole network of people and say, hey, uh, I'm exactly for this person. And they all turned around and said, oh, I know five people who need that. So it was it was night and day because I clear it, it's so powerful to clarify <laughs> who you're for. It turns on the light bulbs in people's brains. They think of people to send to you that they wouldn't think of if you're not specific. Yes. Oh, and. And then you then you stopped doing web design and design and just said we do branding. Yeah, I mean it's always web. We always do the websites, um, but we just put it under the branding umbrella, which is a, which is a tough sell. A lot of people don't know what branding is, and definitely six years ago, I think fewer people knew what branding was, and so that was part of my task, my challenge, and why I created so much content. I said, okay, these people don't know what I'm talking about. So I need to create lots of content that is engaging and interesting that not explains it, but like demonstrates it. So they really understand it and they can say, I want it. So that's, that was another turning point. That was a second turning point, And that's where the book came from. It's like, once I started explaining this, people go, oh, now I get it. Oh, yes, I need branding. And I've never heard it explained like that before. So you're the only person that can help me. So that was, <laughs> that was the experience I tried to create. You then packaged, you packaged it up. So you said earlier, uh, hey, do custom, but, but sell packages. So yeah. that was another, another huge innovation that you could buy. You could buy any color you liked as long as it was black. <laughs> you know what it is? Um, and I was just perusing somebody's um, Instagram today who's all about pricing creative services. And he's all about custom. And I'm looking at this going, oh, I forgot. Like what I'm saying might be kind of controversial. Like I knew it was back when I said it, but I, th I guess I thought everyone had hopped on board, but maybe not. Um, as a small business, this is not true for bigger companies. As a small business, though... You got to be just so, in order to be profitable, you have to be systematized. You've got to be streamlined. You've got to be really aware of the fact that there's only so many hours in a day and the hours you spend working for a client should all be of the highest level, right? Like you're a smart consultant. You shouldn't be spending that time doing anything but your most brilliant work for this person. That's how you're going to get give them the most value. That's how you're going to get the most money because you're delivering this high value. So if you're wasting time doing all this BS, that's not high value to them. You're not making any money and they're not necessarily getting value. So how do you do that? You got to cut out all the parts that are BS. And the only way to do that is to systematize your process so that most of the time you're spending is doing that high level work. So the high level work is custom, right? Like when I'm actually talking to a client and figuring out their strategy, that is as custom as it gets. I am, you know, right there mind melding with them and, and trying to help them uh, build their business and understand their brand. Uh, but, but that the, the structure in which that happens, I shouldn't be having to think about that at all. That should be a sleepwalk because that's the part that doesn't need to be reinvented every time. So that would be a waste of my time. So that's how I see it. Okay. So you built, you've built a process you set you sell a journey on the process as the thing that you sell or you sell an you sell an outcome what's your what's the definition of of i guess brand and then maybe what what people think they're buying well this sounds like two different questions i think i sell an outcome but what people are buying what the definition of branding is a lot of people think different things. I think well, who's I think it's Jeff Bezos that says it's what people say when you're not in the room. I don't remember who said it. That's what I think. That's I think a good definition. I have 
defined badass branding, right? Uh That's what I sell. Badass branding as magnetically attracting ideal clients and repelling everyone else. So it's got to have this push-pull, which means it's got to really stand in its voice and whatever it is. It has to really own it in order to repel certain people and and attract others. And it's got to be premium priced. So you have to be able to charge more than the competition and still win the business. So that's how I define badass branding. Okay. Um, you seem what? skeptical. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not okay. skeptical at all. I, I, and, and actually, in fact, when you said for small businesses, you've got to cut out the BS and just be delivering, you know, on the thing that it is really your differentiator or the thing that people pay you for or what it is that drives the premium price. I, I don't think that that's just small businesses. I think, I think that's every business that wants to be great. Mm. And, and I'm, you know, I would say when I'm talking to prospective clients or working with clients here, I don't think many of them at the beginning would be able to say, this is our core customer. Um, This is who we really, really, really want to buy from us. And when you do it right, it tends to be a much smaller number because it's a, because it's at maximum profit and that we're going to love working with because this is like a passion thing. They, they want what we love to deliver. Um, and that drives our economic engine. And, and that systematizing thing to take away all the thought about what happens next so that you, can, you know you can repeat the process flawlessly over and over again and deliver a great result time and time again. I, I think those things are true for everybody that we work with. Um, not, just, not, just the small, not just the smaller clients. And in fact, I, it's probably even more true as those companies get bigger because, you know, if you don't have that and you don't obsess about that, then you end up with 100 people and you're losing money and you, you, you know, 90, you don't know, you don't know which, which of the 10 people you should keep and how you, you know, the whole thing becomes uh, an oil tanker that's tough to turn around. And I would also say that it's rare that I meet a company that's got such a clear articulation of their brand that they've formed it in such a way that it repels people. You know, there is, you know, most people are getting up in the morning and thinking, uh, let's have the possibly the biggest group of target customers we can possibly have. And therefore what they do is they take any edge off that might upset people. And so it's like beige, beige, beige. We want this to be bought by millions of people. And in fact, they only need 10 or 20. I was talking to a client the other day and he needs 20 new customers in the next three years to double his business. And so he should, it's absolutely then about who's your niche? How do you go to market? How do you attract the ones that will be perfect for you and repel the ones that your your competitors should take on because they're going to be hard to deliver or difficult or less profitable? Um, what examples have you got in the clients you work with then where you've created that brand some stories you could tell us yeah yeah well let me just comment before i do that um i have no doubt that 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 this philosophy of course applies to larger companies that's just not my lane like i stay in my lane you know this (laughs) i like to talk about things that i've experienced and that i i know and it allows me to be more specific in what i talk about, right? Like when people talk about branding, you asked about what the definition of branding is. If you have to talk about branding as it relates to every kind of business, you're going to have to be really generic. So in the same vein, in order (laughs) to repel, it's like, well, I'm going to talk about this specific, how it applies very narrowly, because then you can be more specific and give more examples. Okay, so let me give you an example. Um, So the first one that popped in my head is the one that we just did. So we rebranded this company. It's so funny. We We work with as narrow as our niche is, it's all over the place. So they are consultants for blood banks and uh-huh. other a plasma collection companies, startups. Yeah. Um, and it's a very complicated business. So they are the experts that come in and help them open their locations and get through the FDA regulation. And so the process of branding them, it's like they are super smart people. They've been in this business a long time. Uh, There's a nerdy component to it, but they're also just really cool, chill, 
couple, uh, they're a couple that run this business. It's just the two of them. They're working like crazy. They're charging hourly. Their clients are dragging them all over the place. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they're just working nonstop and they're going crazy. So I just took them through this process. Um, We rebranded them. So now that their brand doesn't like their website, I got why they did it, but it was just so wrong. Their website looked like a blood bank. (laughs) And it's like, no, you're not a blood bank. You're a very high-end consultant for blood banks. That's a really big difference. So the rebrand is positioning them as high-end business consultants that specialize in this space, right? And then speaking to a, and I said, your clients are not blood banks. They're visionary entrepreneurs who actually don't know jack about blood banks. They know very little. They just see it as an opportunity. So we're speaking to visionary entrepreneurs who are used to being CEOs of huge companies where they know lots of stuff and they're getting into this industry and they don't know a lot about it. And you need to speak to that visionary part of it. And then you can charge what you're charging now, but as a flat fee at a much higher rate, because why are they paying you hourly? It's like when you, I mean, are you annoyed that you have to pay lawyers hourly? I find that so annoying. I had to engage a lawyer last year and they just charge you. It's annoying. It's like, I would rather pay you more and just know what the fee is um, than get charged $500 an hour for, you know, a phone call that nothing happened on. So, and she agreed. She said her clients feel the same way. They get these bills for $18,000 and they're like, why did this take so, you know, what is this from? So I said, forget that. Just charge them 30 grand a month and tell them everything's included. And so, yeah, the next person she offered it to, like sign on the dotted line because they were used to paying for value and that's what they're paying for. So you see, it's just like a complete shift in how they see their business on how they position it and and, um, pitch it to people. um, And in turn, how those clients receive them and fall in line. So the clients that are going to pay them more and pay them these flat fees are not looking to, are not expecting for them to pick up the phone at eight o'clock at night. They're not expecting them to do that because that's not how they're positioned anymore. So. Yes. So work less, work for better clients, charge more, not get abused by the clients you didn't want in the first place. Everybody's, everybody's a winner. And also boundaries. It feels like there's a sense of purpose to their business as well. Absolutely. You know, cause like opening blood blanks is, you know, there's entrepreneurial visionaries, but it's a good thing to do. Oh, it's very, very needed in the world. These plasma collection centers are, are highly needed. So yeah. And they have a, a humanitarian purpose as well. I mean, they're a really big, and so are the, the entrepreneurs that go into this space. So again, that's what the connection is about. Like that they want to communicate that they and the entrepreneurs that are going to hire them have this greater purpose. That's a great point. The, so their brand needs to communicate that. Because well, the hourly rate thing, it's, it's, if you uh, maybe lawyers breaks this, but most of the time, if I'm paying somebody hourly, I'm I'm telling them what to do, and they're doing just execution. And in this case, that's not what people want, and, and nor what they're delivering. You know, I, I'm buying your expertise. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pay you whatever you charge me f- to deliver the expertise. Well, right. So then the the other piece of this that I really had to coach them on a little bit is there is a lot of time that they have to spend with these clients. There are just a lot of details and this is a very complex thing to do. Um, So the other thing that they have to do, and this is not part of what I do for them, although I consult on it, is make their process more repeatable. So looking for every single place where they can use templates, where they can systematize the process, um, because the more organized they are, the more money they're going to make. And that there's incentive there even more so if they're getting paid on a flat rate. Look, we're getting paid this no matter what. So either we can figure out how to make this more efficient or not, but that's, that's where our profitability is going to come in. Okay. Um, and so what, how did that how did that turn up in your business? So you you niche down on one to three service service professionals as as clients. You uh, started putting out content to give your the what you know key person of influence in your industry or in your geography. And then when you were doing custom work before, what did what did you end up settling on as the thing that you sell? And how did you what did you package it up as? Well, it evolved a bit. So I will tell you that it actually started. So this is how it actually started. I didn't just come up with what it is today. (laughs) It didn't pop out that way um, as it never does. 
I had a business coach who I was working with and I said to him, you know, I'm looking, I need to get paid at least $30,000 for these projects because they take so long and I have all this overhead. And he said, okay. I said, but I know all these people. And every time I get on the phone with somebody who's interested, like my first question is like, what's your budget? Because if you don't have $30,000, like, don't waste my time. (laughs) He was like, okay, you need to back off a second. You're very aggressive. And also these people want to work with you. What could you, this is when I was struggling to find clients. He said, what could you offer them? Who are they? What What is their budget? What do they want? And what could you offer them? So I said, oh, well, all of these people I know are small business owners. And he said, well, you know, what would they, what would you do for them for $3,000? Let's say they had $3,000. What would you do? And I said, well, Steve and I could do quite a bit of work for $3,000 if we did it like in a day. Like maybe they could hire us for the day for $3,000 and understand that they have us for the day. So whatever we get done, they can have. And as and the easier they are, the more they get. So that was kind of the sticking point. I said, Steve and I are very fast. It's the clients that are the problem. If they just took what we did, we would be making a lot more money, but they don't. So that's how we started. We were really just selling our time still. We were just selling it in this day rate service. Um, and over time, it just evolved. As I continued to increase what I wanted to deliver and the value of that um, so I could increase the price, the process evolved into what it is today, which is, I mean, we're, we're, doing, we're doing agency projects. We're just doing them in these intensive models. We're completely rebranding these companies with their, you know, their logo and their website, all their copy, all this strategy I'm talking about, um, all their materials. And we're doing it, quote, in a day or in two days, but we're actually doing the whole project beforehand. We're just taking them through the process and the data, wrap it up. <laughs> Very good. And, and so one of the other things that uh, service businesses, particularly digital agencies, get drawn into is doing work for free, trying to prove your credibility. I know. It's too bad. <laughs> People <laughs> do that. Um, I think that you, you have, look, when somebody's thinking of hiring you, they have to trust you and they have to have a reason to hire you, right? You're putting your business in somebody's hands. They're going to do this creative work. So you have to trust them. So how do they trust you? Well, if you don't have any information online, if you have no content, then they have no way to trust you. So you have to spend time with them, right? And that's why you do the free work or that's why you do the free consultations or you do the pitches because you're trying to build that trust. And that's why I'm such a fan of authority building content, because if you put the energy into the authority building content, then that does the work for you. So this client that I'm talking about that we just did this brand for last month, um, I had never spoken to her, but she had read my book. She'd been on my email list for two years. She's read every article I've ever written. She was like a huge fan. She had like a list of notes when, when we sat down for the brand shrink which is awesome. It means that um, all that work that I did nurtured her into that trust. And it didn't just nurture her, it's nurturing all kinds of people. So that is where, to me, you don't do free work one-on-one because then it's gone. You do that free work creating content, and then it does the heavy lifting for everybody that comes through your funnel. And that makes, to me, I mean, that makes more sense, like leveraging well, it, your time. It, it, what it means is when people ring you up, they don't want to chat for a coffee. They actually want to just hire you. And, and there's no, there's, there's, it takes all of that sales process completely, uh, completely away. One of, the, uh, one of the clients I've done some work with were doing a sort of discovery phase. And so they just reprint. So, you know, they would typically then do a series of sprints with the client as they would do development projects. So they just came up with this thing and they called it Sprint Zero. And every other sprint is chargeable. And so sprint zero should also, it feels to the client like this should be chargeable because it's just, it's just sort of the pre-sprint before we actually know exactly what we're going to deliver. And, and, and he said, oh, well, I started telling people sprint zero was chargeable and nobody said anything. And, and so, so much of this price so and positioning smart. stuff is in our heads. It's not, it's, you know, it's, there's not a resistance to the client. It's just, we feel like we haven't, we haven't earned the right to say it's like this and it's for this price. So you got any thing about mindset? Yeah, that's a really, 
That's a really great story, too, because just the positioning of it with the rest of the sprints, that's really smart. Yeah, I think um, it has a lot to do with, of course, it's the mindset. I think, um, to your point, a lot of the people who are scared to charge might also be people who aren't used to paying a lot. I mean, I've written a lot and I've tried to unpack this idea. The more that I've spent on my business, the easier it's been for me to charge. You know, once I spent 20 grand in a day, I no longer had any (laughs) um, apprehension about charging that. But if you've never spent more than a couple thousand dollars on your business, I can see why it would be really hard to swallow that a client should pay you ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for your services because you would never pay that. So um I think that's I, part I, of that mindset. I, I read that article and immediately went on your oh, you course. Because <laughs> <laughs> I but that's but you see I, I speak to other business coaches uh you know and and lots of clients who are in IT services business. And, and, you know, the same thing, it's, it's, you know, what are you, what are you spending on your team's development? What are you spending on coaching? What are you spending on personal development? And, and if that's less than your, you know, is, have you ever spent, you know, I want to spend, I don't know, somebody wants to charge $10,000 a day. Well, have you spent $10,000 yourself? Like, how did that, how do you feel? Like, what did you need to get for that to feel as though that was value? Mm-hmm. You know, because you haven't, you know, you're talking about building your business around people and the challenge that they know and the, uh, that you have overcome. And it's the same, you know, if you want to charge somebody $10,000, well, what's the mindset of somebody who spends that? You need to go, need to go and experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same, it's the same for larger services businesses, you know, trying to charge, you know, I, I see it, I see it all the time. You know, the client wants to put their price up and then a, a vendor says, well, this is what we're going to charge you. And immediately they go into sort of small business cost mentality. Mm. Oh, I need to try and chip them on the cost. I need to try them chip them on the cost. And then at the same time, they're saying, oh, I'm finding it really difficult to put our prices up. And it's like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an obvious connection. But it, you know, the, I, I mean, I've tried to unpack this idea many times because I've experienced it and I believe it to be true. But it's hard to explain because it's not like, oh, if you just go spend this money, then you'll be able to charge, right? There's, there had like, you actually have to have the experience of um, investing the money because you wanted to and because you saw those results. And then you understand why somebody else would pay you in turn for a similar experience. And that's where that like mindset of, oh, people really will pay on value and also not getting not getting knocked down when somebody tells you it's too expensive, right? Like, because a lot of people will take that one comment and they'll take it to heart and say, because they're in, insecure about it. Oh, well, somebody told me it was, it was too much or too expensive. It's like, um, you know, someone's always going to think you're too expensive and someone's always going to think you're not expensive enough. And it just depends on what you're going for and who you're speaking to. And, and what your target market is. There's a great yeah. book called Some, Somebody Will Be the Most Expensive. It may as well be you. Oh, Because the thing is, if, you're, if you haven't worked out how to be the most expensive, whatever it is, the space that you're in, then you've taken a decision not in some way to be the best offering for the target for your target audience because there's a, there's a disconnect with your value equation and so that's why I like that that's you know that's why I, I recommend that book to people because it just it's just that mental connection you know how do you justify being the most expensive it forces you to think about outcome and delivery and process and you know because mm-hmm. it's hard it's, it's hard I mean I was just thinking about your clients when you say you know it's the clients are a bit slow you know that's not part of your pitch that your pitch is I will get you where you want to get to in a day yeah well it's and funny we don't want. even They're say busy. that sorry oh, right. what's it, what, no what do you say then well uh, I tell them that's our process but especially now because I'm coaching other small agencies and I'm I'm telling them what they should do on their site and all of that. But then I'm look, they're looking at my site, which we haven't like literally haven't edited since 2014. (laughs) Right. Uh, So I'm going, oh, we don't even say we build them in one to three days on the homepage. Like the speed is not the first thing we lead with. Now, it is what I, I tell people when I'm 
Like if I introduce myself somewhere, I'll say we build, you know, badass brands in one to three days without, uh, you know, badass brands without the BS in one to three days for one to three person service businesses. Um, but it's, but to me, it's not the first part. It's like, I want you to hire me because of our badass approach and you really like that whole vibe and you want us to do that. And then when I tell you this is how it works and you come in and you basically say yes and we give you the brand, you say, oh, okay, and you step in line. But you don't, you don't hire us because of the speed. Do you, do you have a sense of what return on investment people are thinking about? You know, it, I mean, it, I was thinking about the, the blood bank guys mm-hmm. that you were talking about there before. And I suspect you might have gone through that process. And has she tried and failed to change her business with other people? And, and you know, she's, she's a fan of yours. So she wants to buy you irrespective of the outcome or are people looking at you going, if I make this investment, this is going to, I don't know, 5x, 10x. Yeah, you know... I don't have that conversation a lot. Um, again, that's, I guess I credit the authority content to that. Like, I'm, I don't find myself um, trying to justify it. And actually, once in a while, when I get a referral and I talk to somebody that clearly has came through a referral, so they don't, and they haven't looked at anything. They have I no get, idea who they have you no are. no idea. I get really thrown off. I'm like, um, I don't think we should be talking. Like, <laughs> I'll send you my book and then we can chat. Um, because I'm like, wait a second, are you asking me to pitch myself to you? No, I don't do that anymore. So, um, but the reason I'm, I'm saying that is because I think that part of it is just the air of that, but it's also my own mindset. I, I, I mean, my favorite thing to spend money on is my own business, but I, I don't often try to calculate the return because I don't think you can really, I think any investment is going to provide a return if you bring it a return. Like every experience that everything I have ever invested in has given me more value than I paid for, even the mistakes that I made, you know, the, I spent like $20,000 on a sales team once and it was just a horrible just terrible, um, terrible. But I learned so much from doing that. And I learned a lot about um, hiring people, how fast I was, what I should have done instead, not like realized how little I trusted myself and how much better of a salesperson I was. There were all these different things. So, you know, was it a $20,000 mistake or was it a $20,000 learning lesson that may have saved me quite a bit of money down the line? Like when I was in another position where I could have done that, I decided not to. And I decided to do something else. And I think that was a really smart decision. I wouldn't have done it. I, w- I was going to have to hire a sales team and learn that mistake at some point. <laughs> so I did it. So that's the way I look at investing in, in things. I, it's like whatever the money is. I'm learning something. And it's making my business more effective. And it, it's always going to work out. Um, so I don't know. I, that's, just, that's just my personal mentality. And I feel like it might affect the way that clients work talk to me because that's how I genuinely think about it. So that's what I would say to somebody. I'd be like, what do you mean? This is going to have a huge return on your investment. You're charging $10,000, $20,000. If this could increase your price by even like 10%, it's going to bring it's going to bring in more, but it's more likely going to, you know, allow you to increase your prices by 20, 50, a hundred percent, especially if you're not even close to where you could be. So yeah. it's always a smart investment. And you said earlier that you had a conversation with your business coach. So most small businesses don't have a business coach. Mistake. (laughs) What should people look for in a business coach? Yeah. What do you look for? Um, I like variety. Um, (laughs) I've worked with lots of business coaches and I I like working with lots of different business coaches. I think a lot of people have great things to offer. And I like to see different people's perspectives um, and approaches. And there's always these common universal truths. And if you pick them out, I feel like that's where the gold is. Um, But some of the business coaches I've worked with recently, I really look for somebody who's done the thing that I want to do. Like that's to me the most important thing. Uh-huh. And uh, what uh, what are some of the most useful things you've learned from the coaches that you've had? Um, 
or, or maybe, oh, I don't know, challenges you've overcome or things they've forced you to look at in the mirror? Yeah. Well, like I hired a coach last year um, in a very specific situation. Like I was kind of at a turning point and I could have done a lot of things and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, and I, I knew and trusted this woman. Um, I just, I needed like a thought partner. That's how she um, positions herself. She's like a thought partner for exactly somebody in my position, somebody who is, has reached a certain level of success and kind of says like, well, what's next? It was a very specific situation, (laughs) but I loved that that is her niche um, because that, because I had known her for years. And now that I was in that position, she was the first and only person I called, right? And part of what was really helpful about it, she ended up, I ended up doing the thing that I probably knew I was going to do. And it's not like I didn't know how to do it, but I just needed someone to push me along a little bit and all, like kind of tell me that I could do it because it, it was a little bit of a leap. And, um, you know, she gave me some tactical advice that I felt like filled in a couple of holes, but, but more so, you know, I, I, I feel like I paid her 10 grand to basically tell me I could do it. <laughs> that was okay. And it was worth every penny because I did it, you know? And so again, that's what I mean about the, I, sometimes I often find like I'm, because I'm also in this world and I'm also a business coach, I find that I'm hiring people to tell me things I already know and it's worth every penny. <laughs> There's so much to know. There's so much to remember. Like, it's so great to have somebody just remind you, like, right, I know, like, if I'm banging my head and going, I already knew that. It doesn't mean I shouldn't have hired them. It means they're exactly who I should have hired. Well, in a way, it's you eating your own dog food because you spend that $10,000, you have that conversation with her, and it's a bit like doing your brand sprint in a day. Yeah. It's like, we got there. I didn't, I had all the conversation. We discussed it all. We made a decision. Done. Done. And yes, and I think a lot of people might say, and even my partner at one point was like, but you already knew you wanted to do that. I was like, yeah, but I don't think I was going to do it. I think I needed her. He was like, but I told you to do it. I was like, well, I needed someone else to tell me. (laughs) Thank you, dear. Sorry. (laughs) You know, it's different. It's just different. It's an outside perspective. An outside perspective is so valuable. Um, So what is it you know now that you haven't known the rest of your life and maybe it would have been nice to know, fun to know. Oh my God. (laughs) I knew nothing when I started this. Um, I feel like a lot of people say, oh, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done this because I wouldn't have known how hard it was. Um, There might be some truth to that. Like it's good not to know uh, what it really takes. I think I wish I had known how valuable the content was. I would have started uh-huh. that way earlier. I, you know, I like mentor all of my little cousins. Um, and they always ask me because they're all so scared of their job prospects. And what. And I tell them, just write. Like, like write about, try things and, and write about the things that you do. Because to me, writing is such a, um, an amazing skill. It is helping with your communication and being able to articulate your thoughts. And the better you can be at that, the better you'll be at whatever you do. So I wish I had started doing that much earlier. Okay. That's fab. Um, and what, what books have you picked up and read along the way? So yours is Badass Brands. Badass Your Brand. Badass Your Brand. Go buy it now on Amazon Go and buy all it good bookstores. And rate yeah. me a review uh, if you like it. Yeah. Or if you don't. That's okay too. <laughs> Reviews so are what, good. <laughs> what, else is, what else have you found useful or inspirational along the way? There's three big books I go back to over and over again. Uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a classic. That book changed my life. I read it really early and then came back to it. Listen to this. An old gentleman on a crowded subway sitting next to me strikes up a conversation out of nowhere and then tells me I should read this book and then gets off the train. It was like out of a <laughs> like, like a Hollywood movie. Yeah. And, and because of that, I said, I got to read this book because this is so weird. <laughs> the guy just did it. And it was this amazing book. 
Um, that totally changed my whole perspective. Um, and soon after that, I read Dal Carnegie, uh, How to Win Fl- Friends and Influence People, also really shifted my perspective on a lot of things. I read both of those before I was in business, but I love those two books. Um, and then when I was in business, The Big Leap. Do you know The Big Leap? I talk about that book a lot. Uh, Gay Hendrickson. Uh, Gay Hendricks. Great book about overcoming um, how you can be really successful and excellent and still limit yourself and like how to break through these like higher level limits Uh limits. and so like being able to identify and see and uh, those higher level limits to go to a kind of a different nirvana type of excellence which you know totally blew my mind love that book Um, and then the other book that I go to all the time um, that is not a business book is uh well atlas shrugged and and the fountainhead which i don't know if you've read either of those no oh um well they are fiction philosophy books by ayn rand about her philosophy objectivism and it's very controversial and a lot of people have wielded it in a certain political bend that's super super conservative and uncaring but i read it totally differently and i almost did my tedx talk about it (laughs) to basically say you guys all got this book wrong this book is about excellence but excellence taken to the uh logical conclusion is actually about helping people and so i don't know why you guys all read this as we shouldn't help people or help the poor <laughs> like i read it very differently i read it when i was 15 but i've read it, um both of those books many times since because i find them uh very inspiring oh fantastic that's great i if 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 for no other reason if there were if nobody listened i would this podcast would be just uh, a facade to get people to tell me their favorite books so that I can <laughs> I can go and I go and go and read something I haven't read before. Well, what's a book recently that somebody told you that you read and were like, yes, this so, changed things. Oh man, so many books. Uh, let me have a quick look here. I'm rereading Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Arnish. Oh, uh, really? I was listening to that this morning whilst I was running. Um, were you in uh, EO? No, I wasn't. No, oh. no. Um, I, I, I was chatting to uh, an upcoming podcast guest, and he said, "Have you written? Have you read Post Corona by Scott Galloway?" And so I've seen. You know, I, I, I get his newsletter, but I hadn't actually read his new book. So I read that, which is good. He writes about. Um, changes in tech, and so it's you know okay. what happens with you know his 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 premises. The coronavirus has accelerated everything. And so what's going to happen ah! as a result? It's <laughs> <That's> really scary. <laughs> yeah. So the whole, you know, work at home. Yeah. You know, I, it's, anyway, so I read that and I thought, I, thought that was, uh, I thought that was very interesting. Talking to lots of clients at the moment about going back to work. What's that going to look like? You know, it's all right being, it's, you know, what are some of the issues that we're going to have to deal with? And somebody said to me last week, maybe one of the hardest things is, you know, here we are, we're all virtual. And so that's great. So we have a Zoom call and we're all on Zoom. I don't know, you're in a team of five people, seven people, four of you commute to work and you go to have a team meeting. And now we have to have it virtually because somebody's not in. And you know what? I don't think it's about the manager. I think it's about the team. You know, that manager might say, hey, look, it's fine. You know, I I trust you all work from home. We've been doing that for 12 months. But actually, I think some people will want to be back in the office and some people won't. And and a bit like football or religion or politics, I think there will be that it feels to me there's a divide. I see some people that I used to think were quite reasonable, uh, balanced. Mm. And And they've taken a really extreme view of work from home, work back in the office. And so, I don't know, I just, th- I just think there's, it's going to be interesting as, we, as people start to return to work. You know, some people will still be terrified. So there's a whole load of this that we haven't worked our way through yet. Oh, my God. I'm trying not to be too nervous for the uh, huge buildings in Manhattan just full of empty office space and, like, what that, the ripple effects of that in the city for decades to come and whether it'll ever return 
Yeah, I think so. Look, I I mean, I love living in the country. Yeah. But thankfully, most of the population likes living in cities. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) otherwise the country would be rubbish. It would have too many people in it. So I don't know. I think I think I think cities will bounce back. You know, look, it's certainly in New York or London. People commute a long way to to work. And and with human beings, a team, team animals. You know, we like to get together and do stuff together. Yeah. Well, you I know, think otherwise... the restaurants are going to bounce back no problem. Like, I think all the entertainment and stuff, but to your point about the virtual working, I just wonder if the offices are going to come back. I mean, I guess, yeah, some people like it. Um, yeah, some people don't like being on a screen all day. I don't mind, so I guess I can. <laughs> and I'm here. Yeah. So, uh, and now you're, uh, where should people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you? Just go to my website, psilva.com. You can okay. read all and sorts of great stuff there. You can click to my podcast, hang out with me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, your target customer is now not really blood banks, but agencies who are looking to... Yeah. So um, I'm still doing a select few clients who actually need me to do the services and rebrand them and do all of the consulting and strategy. Um, but I'm also focused on teaching small agency owners how to implement our model because I personally think that anyone who's a team of five or or fewer and is selling creative services should be doing our model because it's more profitable. So I'm on a mission to teach them all (laughs) to get rid of the scope creep, how to get rid of all the waste and just have this much more profitable lifestyle business. Fantastic. Pia, thank you very much indeed for coming on today. It's been a pleasure chatting. Thanks for having me, Dominic. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.